0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the show, we'll welcome Dr. Will Selman, Assistant Professor of Biology at Millsaps College, to the program. He's going to talk about the various turtles of Mississippi, especially the box turtle. He's conducted several studies of turtles around the state and will share some of his findings. He'll talk about the endangered turtles of the state and answer any questions that you might have about these cold-blooded reptiles. Also, Dr. Major's here ready to take your pet questions. So join our conversation with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's 1-877-MPB. 672 or you can email the show. Send it to animals at org. If you happen to miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats every Saturday mornings at 6. So, uh, waiting for Libby to join the show, but uh, good morning, Dr. Major. How are you doing this morning?
2: Good morning. Doing good. Uh, dogs are noisy, <laughs> noisy today, so... <laughs> Since we're doing for from the clinic, I'll have to put on mute in between, And uh, but every, everybody's uh, excited. You know, they, uh, in early morning here, uh, everybody's fed, walked, and, you know, taken care of, so you can probably hear some dogs in the background, but everything's going okay today
1: well we i think we'd be worried if we didn't hear some barking in the background (laughs) also just a quick aside i I had to call for uh, to get uh, some breveto for my cat and uh, first got the uh, the voicemail message and it's funny because again on your voicemail message you can hear dogs barking in the background but i thought how appropriate for a vet's voicemail message to have some dogs back there
2: well as long as long as the parents not saying too much in the background (laughs) we're we're okay
1: all right, so, Dr. Major, we've had some hot weather. We've had a little bit of a break uh, for the rest of this week, but the first part of the week was quite hot and humid. So if you would, give us some, some of those general reminders that we need to start thinking about uh, when it comes to hot, humid weather and our pets.
2: Okay, the first thing it goes without saying is, you know, in a car, certainly it's fine for your dogs to travel with you, but uh, do not leave any dog in a car uh, with uh, windows closed or Best not to leave them unattended in the car is what I'm trying to say. So that's that's number one. The other thing is provide plenty of water and shelter or shade. Uh, that's very important. And remember that now that things have gotten hot, people have been walking a lot more, I think, because of the uh, pandemic. But remember that dogs' pads get pretty hot on asphalt especially and can burn the pads on a long walk. So be aware of that. Uh, just, and I hate to say it like this, but common sense rules the day in taking care of our pets from the standpoint of the heat, humidity, and just taking care of them. The other thing to think about now, flea and tick season is full swing. Uh, remember that your dogs here need to be on heartworm preventive year-round, and uh, certainly they're adequate uh, medications for flea and fig prevention and control.
1: Uh, The other thing that you've reminded us about in hot weather times, too, is, you know, when we're out walking again, as you mentioned, a lot of us are more out to the pandemic, getting exercise and that sort of thing. And, you know, when we get thirsty, we might have a a water with us and we can hydrate. But uh, what about for our pets? What are some signs uh, first that uh, maybe that your dog might need some water? And is it a good idea to maybe bring along a little bowl or something uh, for him to get to him or her to get uh, hydrated as well as we are?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I know in our neighborhood, uh, people are walking with their dogs. Must go with a water bottle and maybe a collapsible cup or something like this that uh, a dog can drink out of. Uh, But it goes along without saying, too, that a lot of the dogs may not be in as good a shape as they should be. So don't overdo it during hot and humid weather. But, yes, take water along with you. I think it's important.
1: Uh, i got to give credit to the multi-purpose trail in Ridgeland. I used to ride bikes there, and I noticed that uh, in addition to the water uh, stations along the way, they do have a little smaller thing. If, if I remember correctly, it's almost like a little bowl. So no, uh, they know that folks are out there with their, their pets as well. And, it's, uh, again, kudos to them for uh, thinking right. about giving uh, the dogs a place to get some water with those water stations as well as the That's humans. Great. great. Very good um when you're on a walk and uh what's the best way to kind of keep your dog under control i know they see a lot of things that interest them maybe some other dogs so if your dog is kind of always kind of yanking on your leash trying to get away from you are some things that you can do is it just a matter of sort of training your dog better
2: i think the main thing we have to think about is you know uh before you start out into a situation where there are a lot of other dogs or people or, or vehicles. A lot of dogs are very scared of uh, vehicles if you're not close to, you know, have not been close to a car or a street. Uh, so these are things you need to do at home. Uh, the dog needs to learn to be able to sit, uh, stay. Uh, treats are a wonderful way to enforce that. Uh, and just some preparedness before you go on a walk. Uh, and if you see dogs or things like this that you don't know be very careful because we have had situations where uh there have been a fight where you start to let your dog uh, go nose to nose with another dog that you don't know uh we had a a uh, person truck driver actually uh and i believe bessemer and uh he had stopped uh with his little dog and uh The dog went up to another dog and got severely bitten. Uh, He stopped here, and we were able to, um, you know, give the dog aid and suture the wounds and and medication. He was on his way, I believe, to Albuquerque, so he takes the dog with him. But uh, I've communicated with him once or twice, and the dog is doing well. The main thing I'm making here is be careful when you don't know another dog, and uh, that's very important.
1: Uh, one other thing, uh, my brother has uh, several dogs, and I know that he's had uh, success with some of his dogs uh, with obedience training. And I think that that's fairly uh, available in most parts of the state. So again, he's uh, he's been very happy uh, with the results from that. When uh, and it's real been real helpful for for him and his dogs.
2: Yes, very good. I highly recommend uh, some form of obedience training. Yes.
1: All right, uh, Libby's joined us now. Libby, good morning. Glad uh, that you're on the show with us this morning. Good morning. Uh, we've got several uh, emails here to share, and so let's start with this first one, Libby, and it's uh, fireflies uh, from Jean and Raymond on the Saturday, May 23rd. So that was a couple of Saturdays ago. She said, woke up this morning at 2.30 a.m. and saw a mass of fireflies light up all together outside my window. Uh, so was that about still about the time that we were seeing them, and, and has the time for most firefly viewing for this year passed?
3: Well, <clears throat> yes, that sounds like she could have seen them two weeks ago. And now, was she in Madison then, did she say? Uh, Raymond. Oh, Raymond, yes. Yeah, so that would have been perfect. Uh, they, they've just about stopped the synchronous blinking here in the Jackson area, but it's still going strong in North Mississippi. So uh, there's still time to see them, all kinds of places. If you know anybody that lives a little further north from Jackson and our, our listeners in Oxford, I think they're getting a treat now. Uh, the only problems I think they've had is a lot of rain and that, you know, that uh, the fireflies will take cover during the rain. And they also hide from the full moon. We've had a lot of moonlight lately. Hmm. So that makes literally. it a little harder to find them. Right.
2: Olivia, it's Troy. Uh, I was amazed. Night before last, uh, there were quite a few fireflies out. Now these were flying about, I would say, four feet, to about fifteen feet in the air. But there were quite a few. They weren't synchronous, but they were uh, quite a few. Night before last, so
3: yes. And now, uh, were you seeing them about dusk?
2: Uh, it was about 8.30, yeah. I oh, guess 830, that's okay.
3: There's several species out now, and I don't know all of them, but um, the, uh, those ones that make the little J-stroke kind of a thing are out, and they're out a little earlier than that. Um, it won't be completely dark, and they're really bright. So um, you can see those, and then there's some treetop flashers still, but there's one called the candle firefly. It's um, out now, so I think there's still a lot of entertaining fireflies if people want to get outside at night.
1: Here's another email from a listener in Memphis who says, my dog and I have had to share or try to share our front porch as a mockingbird family took over our holly tree very close by. The babies finally grew up and flew out of the nest, and Lola and I were so happy, but now it seems the entire family comes back to the same holly tree every other day or so. This is very rare to me. Is this typical of mockingbird behavior?
3: Um, all right. So they're saying that the babies fledged and left the nest.
1: and But and now have returned.
3: Still, yes. And I think that's pretty common for a lot of birds. Their parents will continue to feed them sometimes uh, for several days. So I would imagine that's kind of what's happening is that they're still locking around, learning what to do, and... Um, yeah, I'm sure it's hard to learn how to fly <laughs> and feed yourself and everything else when you've been so totally dependent before. So that's not unusual for them to come back to an, it's not like they're going to go sleep in the nest or anything, but they're coming back to their parents. And so their parents must still be in that vicinity.
1: Okay. Okay. It is time for our first break of the hour. We'll return. We'll welcome our guest, Dr. Will Selman, Assistant Professor of Biology at Millsaps College, to the conversation. He's going to talk to us about box turtles found around the state and tell us how, along with his students, he tracked the turtles around Lafleur's Bluff State Park in Jackson. So stay tuned. You can give us a call, the number's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's one 672 7464 email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour is Dr. Will Selman, Assistant Professor of Biology at Millsaps College. We'll begin our conversation with Dr. Selman in just a moment, but first uh, we have some calls to get to in this first one, a very familiar voice to MPB Think Radio listeners, Felder Rushing on the line. Good morning, Felder.
4: Good morning, good morning. Listen, I got a a, a quick question. I'm looking forward to the turtle thing, Uh, but Libby, I'm... I've done something I really shouldn't do. I've adopted a baby possum.
5: Oh
3: goodness! <laughs> well, it, when I
4: got it, it was a rescue from a neighbor. Is about the size of my fist, you know, his, his body was. And uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to 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 get it domesticated or anything. I'm just feeding it, giving it water until I can let it go in my own garden. Uh, it it I know you are not know, supposed yeah. to do that, but you know I'm I'm not handling it or anything like that. So, but my my question is for Troy. Uh, this thing's got fleas, and I'm not sure you know what I should do. It's got a, a pretty good number of fleas and it, might be weakening. I'm just wondering, is can I use a a cat flea treatment for a for a little Joey for a, for a little possum without you know harming it or anything or what?
2: Felder, how big is the, how big is the possum? Uh, his pound, body pound is.
4: I, I don't know. I haven't picked it up. His body is a little bit bigger than, than my chest.
2: Okay. I think it would be safe, and we've used this before on, uh, quote, exotic animals, the puppy kitten revolution.
4: Okay, which, revolution.
2: Which, which should be safe, yes.
4: Yeah. Is that something that's an oral thing or a dip or what?
2: It's something you just uh, put put it on the back between the shoulders.
4: Okay. Or, it's, or, a, it's it's an aggressive little thing. I mean, I, I gave it a <laughs> I gave it a big slug on a stick, but I, I feed me, I, I feed me uh, dry cat food, a lot right. of fruit, uh, some worms, uh, some scrambled eggs, and I've given it some big slugs, and it pounces on them.
2: Well, you're doing, you're you're doing good. Oh, I she's would maybe, be so
4: happy. <coughs>
5: maybe well, he, put
2: your, put your gloves on when you uh, put the revolution on, because you're going right. to need really to put it on. I would put it on right behind the base of the neck, because okay. they like cats; they could turn around and possibly lick it it wouldn't hurt that but it might uh dilute the factor uh you know as far as killing the fleas
4: yeah it, well i i know that they they clean the cells. i don't want to get put a right. dust or anything right. like that
2: right so just what, put it right 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 at the base of the skull right at the, on the neck there okay
4: okay he's an aggressive thing and, and <laughs> before i let you go i want to give a quick antidote about your parrot uh you used to keep my old rusty and 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 uh doctor you were so kind uh, when we had to, to put him down, but uh, my your parrot would mimic my dog's barking when he stayed with you, and your parrot would get my dog barking <laughs> at, at, at your clinic. It was teasing my dog.
2: It's anyway. so funny. Some, sometimes uh, when they're uh, – we usually have them out front right now, especially during the pandemic. But when, when dogs are making a lot of noise, sometimes he'll scream. Like he wants them to be quiet. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Well, listen, I'll, I'll,
4: I'll swing by against that later. And Libby, okay. uh, am I doing okay keeping this, or do I need to contact the museum, and get a a, a pet a, a rehab person, or what?
3: You might call. You know what? You could call North Jackson Animal Clinic, and they might have some pointers for you too. Uh, one of the things I was laughing about is this little thing may imprint on uh, that you get a little tired of as time goes by so they um, might help you with that a little bit too how to how to teach it that it is a possum that might be well, beneficial to you later
4: yeah my my, my garden is a wildlife uh, uh certified habitat and i mean, I, th- I hope it sticks around because i like the little things and anyway i appreciate it guy looks forward to hearing the the tortoise and tortoise, turtle and tortoise guy
1: all right Felder, thanks for the call. Just a reminder. Well, if you, good luck. Uh, Felder. show, The Gestalt Gardener, every Friday morning at 9 on MPB Think Radio with a repeat broadcast Saturday mornings at 10. So thanks, Felder. Good to hear from you. Uh, let's uh, take one more call before we bring Will into the program, and it's Wilma in Memphis. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good
5: morning. I've got a chipmunk story. Okay. I have some hostas that slugs were eating on, And I know the remedy is to take a little jar lid, put beer in it, put it out there at night, and the slugs will get in it and drown. Well, I did that. Next morning, I walk out, and a chipmunk is drinking the beer, and he (laughs) took off running. So that night, I filled it up, put it out there again. I've done it four nights now, and every morning I get up, and it's bone dry, no slugs, but a drunk chipmunk somewhere. (laughs)
1: Oh, you, <laughs> you certainly have made his day. I think he's discovered something new and exciting. <laughs> All right, uh, thanks for the story, I Wilma.
3: Know, you may have ruined his life.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's an AA for uh, chipmunks or not. So, uh, thanks, Wilma. A funny story there to share with us. Uh, as I mentioned at the start of the show, our guest today is um, Dr. Will Selman, assistant professors, uh, professor of biology at Millsaps College. Will, thanks for joining us. You were on the show uh, before, but if you would remind our listeners about your education a bit about your background.
0: Sure. Good morning, Kevin. How are you, Libby and Terry? It's good to be back on the show. Um, so, so I grew up I hear in Meridian. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Meridian and, and uh, spent a good bit of time out in the woods behind my house and hunting with my dad and um and, and did my undergraduate here at Millsaps College uh, and and thereafter did my uh, doctoral work at University of Southern Miss and and spent a, a brief brief stint with uh, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries as a as a research biologist and uh, have been back here at Millsaps for about four years now.
1: So uh, you have a focus on developing local research projects in Mississippi and Alabama, and I think we're going to talk about a few as the hour goes on, but also projects at the Millsaps Biocultural Preserve in the Yucatan of Mexico. Tell us, what is a biocultural preserve?
0: So Millsaps owns um, about 5,000 acres uh, in the southern Yucatan state of dry tropical forest. Um, So on this Reserve is actually an active archaeological site uh, for um, the Mayan uh, uh, town of Um and and uh, George Bay, who's the archaeologist here, has been uh, leading the expedition down there for the better part of uh, a decade or two. So it's it's both a, a biocultural. Um, sort of or a cultural standpoint with the with the mayans and the archaeological history there but it's also an important dry tropical forest that there um that there aren't that many uh good examples of that habitat left in in that part of the of the region. Uh,
1: that sounds like a really unique opportunity for for any students that might uh, you know be involved in some of the projects that go on down there so it it sounds very fascinating. Sure. All right, so uh, let's talk about some uh, research projects uh, that you've done with your students. One was about the the turtle community in the floodplain forest ponds. Tell us a little bit about that one.
0: So this is a project that uh, a student of mine, she was an honor student. Her name was Gracie Belknap, um, and she graduated last year. And she was surveying the aquatic turtles in three of the floodplain ponds downhill of the Natural Science Museum in Lafleur's Bluff State Park. And over the course of two years, she found nine different species of turtles that occur in those uh, in those three ponds. Which, for a, uh, for a community, is pretty large. Uh, when we think about portions up in the northern part of the states, there might be an entire state that only has nine species of turtles. So. Here we have three ponds that have nine species of turtles, more than some states uh, have up in, in the northern part of the, the United States. So it's a pretty special place, and, and we have uh, turtles that are both pond turtles, so things like red-eared sliders and uh, southern painted turtles that occur in those ponds, but we also have some river turtles that sometimes move in after the Pearl River floods, because when the Pearl River goes up, it floods the entire floodplain. So we have things like alligator snapping turtles, razorback musk turtles, spiny soft shells that end up in those ponds as well, which which we found. So it's a pretty neat system down there.
1: Um, also, another uh, project from LaFleur's Bluff State Park. Uh, in 2018, you started tracking box turtles. Tell us a little bit about that one.
0: Yeah. So we have 10 box turtles that we have radio trackers that are attached to their shell and we we we've been tracking these same 10 turtles around for over 2 years now. We just replaced the transmitters on them to track them for another 2 years. And this is a project that is about both research and teaching. So the research side is we want to know how do the turtles interact in sort of a that the landscape around the the natural science museum. So we have a golf course, LeFleurs golf course that's there, we have the museum, and then we have a really nice floodplain and hillside there. So we have some pretty distinct habitats, and we want to figure out how they're using that habitat, sort of their behaviors and, and, and their activity patterns, how big their home ranges are, and then we also want to use it as a teaching project, so an opportunity for students to get, to sort of get headlong into doing research. So we use this project is an opportunity for student to, to learn field techniques, how to track animals, how to collect data. And all of this, you know, you might think, well, this is just a box turtle. But if you look at the technology, it's the same technology that you can use on an African elephant or a gulf sturgeon to, to track them around. Um, so, so this is a technique that, that these students can take with them after they graduate.
1: Uh, interesting that you point that out, but it does sound like that's an interesting uh, area because, uh, as you mentioned, with the golf course and sort of the human activity. So, does it give you kind of some insight as to how sort of close maybe humans can encroach on uh, a creature's habitat without it being too much disturbed?
0: So that's a thing that when we think about box turtles, they need habitat. Uh, so, and in, in from a from a box turtle standpoint, when we think about the habitat that they need, this is. Usually a, what we would call a mesic hardwood forest is, is one of their primary habitats. And, and by mesic, meaning it's moist, but it's not completely inundated and it's not dry. So it's kind of in the middle there. Um, so, so habitat is the most important thing. And we've seen that for the most part, they avoid being out in the open in, in the golf course. They like to skirt around the edges. They spend a lot of time buried under leaves and... For, for many cases, I tell my students they're like forest ninjas. Uh, <laughs> they're out there. It's just that we rarely see them uh, because they're so well camouflaged and, and buried much of the time.
1: Um, with your research projects, do you ever have uh, room or need for citizen scientists?
0: You know, we welcome we welcome people to come out and, and take a look. Um, it, but for the most part, we, we try to keep it limited to students because we don't want – additional traffic, uh, additional disturbance, because we want to find out more about the behaviors of the animals. So the more we interact with them, the more potential we have for altering their behaviors. So we really go out there about once a week and, and track the turtles, and then we, we leave and, and, and sort of let them be to their own devices uh, while we're away. So we really want them to be wild animals. And if you ever come across any box turtles at the museum, uh, just enjoy them from a distance and and uh, enjoy their their presence.
1: All right, uh, you have an interest in box turtles, and we're going to get into that. But first, we need to take another break. Uh, we're visiting this hour with Dr. Will Selman, assistant professor of biology at Millsaps College, talking specifically about box turtles, but turtles in general as well. So, if you have a question uh, for Will, you can give us a call. Also, Dr. Major's on the line, ready to handle your pet questions. The number to call is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this.
5: Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast
4: everywhere.
1: This is Creature Comforts, and I'm Kevin Farrell, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and our guest for the hour, Dr. Will Selman. If you miss any of today's show, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app, or you can download the MPB public media app. Also, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at org. So, well, on this show, we talk about some things, and I think to myself when I'm reading through the script or whatever, it's like, well, yeah, I know about that. But uh, I'm not sure exactly I know exactly what a box turtle is. So if we'd start our discussion out by kind of giving us uh, some maybe 101 on the box turtle, what it looks like and that sort of thing.
0: Sure, the, the box turtle ranges throughout our state from the Mississippi Gulf Coast all the way up to the northern part of the state. And they're generally a pretty small terrestrial turtle, so a land turtle. So they don't have webbed feet and their shell is really high domed and their shell on the underside, the plastron, closes on both sides. So it can completely enclose itself inside its shell, much like, uh, much like you would expect being able to fold a box up. Um, and none of our other turtles can do that. All of our other turtles, you at least see some head portions or legs that, are, that might, even when they tuck them in, you can still see the legs. But, uh, but a box turtle truly is like a box that's been folded up and you can't see what's inside.
1: So uh how did you get interested in box turtles?
0: Well, uh growing up in Meridian, we we our home backed up to some woods and we would have box turtles that would venture through our yard and and I would keep some occasionally, you know, for for a few weeks as pets and and uh just really got interested in in turtles uh, at a young age just by seeing them and and putting some strawberries out and seeing them munch on strawberries and and it was it was really sort of a uh, learning by doing, learning by seeing and observing.
1: And uh, you mentioned that the ability to sort of close up completely like a box. Uh, is there some other behaviors and things about box turtles that makes them different from other turtles?
0: So a lot of our box turtles, again, are, are mostly land turtles. I have seen them uh, as recently as just a couple weeks ago. They will swim across rivers uh, and they'll kind of bob on the surface like a buoy, Um and, and some of our box turtles that are on, along the Gulf Coastal portions, uh, they'll spend more time in water. Those are our Gulf Coast box turtles. They're more um, – they like to soak in water, uh, and they spend a lot of time in sort of in and around aquatic habitats. Um, but they're, they're very, again, reclusive uh, in, in, during many parts of the year, during the winter and during the really hottest portion of the summer, they're underground or, or under leaf litter to stay cool. But this time of year is the, is the time when, when people see box turtles the most. During the, from about spring break, mid-March, until about uh, mid to late June, when it starts to get really hot. This is the time frame when, when we start to see a lot of box turtle activity. Box turtles moving across roads, box turtles coming into yards. Um, for, for a number of reasons. It could be, you know, males looking for mates. It could be females that are looking for a place to nest. Or it could be just turtles moving from one part of their home range to another part.
1: This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting this hour with Dr. Will Selman uh, from Millsaps College talking about turtles, specifically the box turtle in this uh, part of the show. Uh, if you'd like to join our conversation, you can give us a call at one mpb ring It's one 672 We've got a caller with a turtle question, so let's say good morning to Rhonda in Jackson. Rhonda, you're on the air with us. Go ahead hi i'm actually rhoda rhoda sorry about that that's
5: all right i'm um i have a turtle question i'm the principal of casey elementary school until tomorrow i'm retiring tomorrow and we have we've had turtles live in our enclosed courtyard for oh 20 years they were here when i came five years ago they're a school tradition the children love to see them through the windows they, yes, they do everything, they eat, they crawl, they mate, um, but there's now that I'm, I'm getting a little more familiar with turtles, I'm wondering if this is really a crime against nature to have them in an enclosed courtyard, and we know that two of them died in the past year, and we haven't seen more than one or two at a time since the last number of months. What, what would you advise the, for the future of our turtle courtyard at Casey? Well,
0: that's a good question, and and partly it we kind of have to know how big this space is uh, and what's in it to to be able to know if the box turtles have all of the resources that they need. So, m- all of our animals need sort of food, water, shelter, space, oh. and 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 some mates. So. You never know what what might be going on, um, and and how long those box turtles have been there. Um, and so, so it's kind of hard to to digest what what might be going on without actually seeing the space and knowing how big it is. But I would I would generally recommend to to our, our view the the listeners and, and to to um, to anybody, especially children, that want to keep them as pets is you know if, if you find one. Keep it, you know, maybe for a couple of weeks and then let it go right back where you found it. Um, I think it's important for kids to have interactions with animals because that, that initial interaction is usually what piques their fascination and piques their interest. But, mm-hmm. but keeping a wild animal, uh, especially turtles, which in this case, box turtles, may live longer in many cases than people. That you may have to write your turtle into your will uh we i I don't recommend <laughs> keeping turtles long term uh because they can outlive us and and once they're they're in captivity they and they get used to people uh and they may be exposed to some diseases that if you if you let that animal back uh let it let it back go in the wild, it could expose other animals around to diseases that it may have so so I don't recommend keeping box turtles for more, you know, more than a couple of weeks. Uh, again, enjoy them and, and uh, pique your, your fascination with, your, with yourself and with your, your children. Uh, but, yeah, I think that turtles are, are belong outside, and, and that's where, uh, where they're designed to be.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, this is a fairly large courtyard, but certainly not as big as a football field it's probably about 50 feet by 20 feet but i'm not that great with estimating Mm -hmm. and it has a lot of cover Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ground cover we know kind of where they hide um it's fairly wild um not not totally but you know we do go in and try to trim out the weeds and things but there's plenty of place to hide but i've always kind of wondered how do they get water um i've always you know they seem to do okay with their own food source there and then the kids especially love it when we throw out baby carrots and they Mm -hmm. can see them out there crunching on these baby carrots and you know it's a great visual
0: well and to give you an idea the box turtles that we track at Lafleur's bluff their home range is anywhere from an acre to maybe four or five acres Mm -hmm. um so, so they can be can be pretty large um, depending upon uh, what turtle we're talking about, some are more homebodies, some are are more roamers. So it really all depends.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just wanted to hear what you had to say. I was driving to the school, and I thought, let me check on this.
0: Um, well, and I would be I'm happy. Take- I'd be happy to talk with you further about it if you if you all need right. any any additional uh, recommendations or advice.
5: So signing off
1: from KC Elementary, best school in the universe. All right, uh, and by the way, Rhoda, if you did want to try to get uh, in further touch with Dr. Selman, if you'll send us an email to animals at mpbonline dot org, we're forwarded along. Make sure that he gets that. But appreciate. Thank you. All right, uh, Rhoda, one of your former students, Java Chapman, says hello. He's the producer of the oh, show. Oh yes. I love hearing people on the shows. All righty. Thanks, Rhoda, for your call. Good to hear from you this morning. Uh, This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting with Dr. Will Selman. We're talking about turtles in general,ly specifically the box turtle. Uh, So, Will, give us an idea what is a day in the life of a box turtle like?
0: So it all depends on what sort of day we're talking about. If it's it's during the wintertime, they spend much of their time buried underneath the ground. So a lot of our turtles that we've been tracking are buried between the months of November and March. So for about four or five months of the year, they are they're buried in very little activity. Um, but but this time of year, uh, when the when the weather starts to warm up, uh, we could expect to see box turtles, especially moving uh, to find mates, uh, to find uh, to find f- food, things to eat, and one of the things that many of the listeners have probably noticed, and, and I have as well, is that a, a nice uh, shower, uh, a rain shower, seems to bring them out as well. So all the, the berries, all the fruits, all the, the earthworms and things like that um, that they eat are all nice and wet and moist uh, for, for them, and, and they're opportunistic omnivores, uh, so all that means is that they pretty much will eat about anything given the right opportunity. We see them eat fruits and and berries. We see them eating um, eating earthworms. We see them eating fungi. We even see them see them eating carrion, so dead animals um, that that might be in the woods. Um, so given the right opportunity, they they might eat any number of things. Um, but as it gets toward the summertime, I mentioned earlier, you may see them early in the morning and later in the evening. But during the really hottest part of the day, they're going to be buried under leaves uh, and and sort of passing the time uh, so they don't get overheated.
1: Um, are they fairly solitary or do they have uh, social groups?
0: So they're fairly solitary most of the time. This time of year, um, you may see uh, uh, males and females courting. Uh, and that's the this is about the time period where where we see most of our our interactions with with box turtles so for the most part they're they're living a a, a pretty pretty lonely existence except for during the spring and they, and it could be could vary from state to state and and uh and subspecies to subspecies we have some of our gulf Coast box turtles might be a little bit more uh clustered than than what we might see in other parts of the state. Some, in some areas along the Gulf Coast, there, they, there can be really high densities of, of Gulf Coast box turtles.
1: Uh, and we mentioned earlier your study from the box turtles at Lafleur's Bluff State Park, and I think uh, that you observed some of the mating and courtship uh, between the turtles. Did they have any sort of interesting rituals that uh, go along with that?
0: So males and, and will we'll usually walk in front of the females, and they'll kind of bob their heads up and down, try to look impressive. Um, and, and oftentimes we might see um, one of the interesting things, I think, with a lot of reptile species is a, that we see multiple paternity. Within a single clutch of eggs, we could have multiple fathers uh, of, those, of those offspring, uh, and, and the more we, we look with genetic uh, techniques, the more we find out that many of our, many of our reptile species are, are, do have multiple paternity. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty neat neat aspect of their of their reproductive ecology.
1: All right, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our guest today, Dr. Will Selman. We're going to take one final break this hour, and before we continue our conversation with Will, also we've got a pet question on the line for Dr. Major still time to get a question in. The number is one mpb ring Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. Just send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour, Dr. Will Selman, assistant professor of biology at Millsaps College. We've got some callers on the line. Looks like a couple of turtle questions and at least one pet question, and that's what we'll start with. Jane's called in from Brandon. Good morning, Jane. You're on the air. Go ahead.
5: Thank you. Good morning. My son has a one-year-old black lab, a purebred black lab, and is real particular about what he feeds his dog. Um, my question is, in flora, there's a butcher who does real bones, dog bones, and he prepares them for dogs. Is it possible for me to give this bone to this black lab?
2: Interesting question, and a lot of it depends on the dog and how they handle it. I would suggest that, uh, number one, the bone be large.
5: It is Uh, very large, very large.
2: Number two, as it begins to break up, take those pieces away. We can see dogs that cannot handle chewing those, and then they swallow uh, large chunks, and you can have, actually have to have uh, abdominal surgery to remove it uh, if it can't pass. So as far as something for them to chew on, that's fine, but uh, I, I really think you need to keep a close watch on what's happening with the bone. Do you understand what I'm saying there? You don't want it to break or fragment and then uh, possibly run into an obstruction.
5: I think I'll pass on the
2: dog. I think, I think it's probably good advice, and there are other things that you can get uh, that are designed more for the dental uh, situation, you know, as far as trying to help with the teeth and help prevent tartar. Uh, check, with your, check with your veterinarian. Uh, some of the pet stores have some uh, that type thing that can help with uh, preventing tartar, preventing buildup. The other thing is that dogs, We see a lot of dogs where they're chewing on bones or hard substance. They actually fracture some of the teeth. They can chomp down pretty hard. If the bone is real hard, um, you can get a slab fracture or a fracture of a tooth, and then you've got a problem. So I think it's wise to say probably not, okay?
5: Okay, thanks for the good advice.
2: Thank you.
1: Good to hear from you, Jane. Uh, Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we'll talk to Randy in Ocean Springs. Go ahead, Randy. You're on the air.
5: A question for Dr. Selman about the um, various
0: subspecies of box turtles, and if there are any areas in the state where um, they're, they're interbreeding most heavily and uh, making hybrids. So that's a that's a good question. Thanks for the thanks for the question. The the different parts of the state have different what we would call the subspecies of box turtles. So up in the very northeastern corner of the state, so like Itawamba, Tishomingo, Monroe counties, we have the eastern subspecies of box turtle, Terrapena, Carolina, Carolina. Um, In the southern portion of the state, probably the lower six counties, so like Pearl River, Hancock, Stone, Harrison, George, Jackson, that's going to be where we have uh, um, a subspecies that's the Gulf Coast box turtle, Terrapena, Carolina, major. So they're much bigger compared to most of our inland box turtles. They can, they can actually be quite large, maybe 10 or more inches uh, for, for some of our uh, larger individuals. And then the rest of the state is sort of covered by the three-toed box turtle. Um, but you, you ask about hybridization. So there, that's a word that's usually associated with two species that are, uh, that are crossing. Well, in this case, it, these are subspecies. So we would use the term integration. And so rant uh, and I've noticed it around Hattiesburg, basically in the in the northern pine belt, that there is quite a bit of what we would call genetic mixing, uh, intergradation. So we might see some three-toed traits, we might see some eastern traits, and we might see some Gulf Coast traits that all kind of mix together uh, around the the Hattiesburg region, at least from what I've seen uh, in my work. So okay. good question.
1: All right, Randy. Thanks for your call. Uh, it, it, would it be areas that I mean Hattiesburg seems to be kind of maybe near the coast and not uh, near the central part of the state, so is it sort of possibly the geography has a little bit to do with that?
0: I think part of it is just that there are different portions of the of their range that they've evolved different traits and and when those when those areas kind of get close to one another, you have an opportunity for each one of those different, genetic groupings to sort of start to mix in and and because they're the same species it's 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 just um happenstance that there might be an area that you know around the northern pine belt that is where sort of all of those different traits might mix so that's at least in my experience what i've seen
1: all right uh one final question this hour and we'll go to jerry in madison go ahead jerry you're in, you're on the air with us
0: okay thanks for taking my call uh i'd like to- address this question to Dr. Will. Uh, p- first of all, I'd, I'd like to thank
1: you and Millsaps and also MPB on highlighting the biodiversity in Mississippi and the southeast, because I think it's really underappreciated.
0: But to go on with it, I was a golf course superintendent at Colon- the old Colonial Country Club off of Pur- that Purple Creek runs through, and there were a couple, lack of a better term, oxbow ponds off of it when they channelized Purple Creek, and we had a
2: population of the soft shell turtles. And some of them were very large.
0: And I was just wondering what you could tell us, you know, you know, about those. So soft shell tur- thank, thank you for the question. The, the the Purple Creek does run through sort of northeast Jackson and and there are several ponds that, that are along there. And soft shells are pretty interesting. They're when we think about turtles, we think of slow, you know, sort of taking their time. Well, soft softshell soft turtles are actually extremely fast. Yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> and they and they're opportunistic predators, so they're going to eat on fish uh, that are that are both alive and dead, and, and any other organisms that they can they can get their hands on. They're they're uh, carnivores. So um, and they're going to move. The possibility that they may move. In and out of those ponds, back into Purple <laughs> Creek, you know, and and so not necessarily confined to the ponds, but they could move back and forth, um, okay. you know, during different times of the year, especially if the water gets up, you may are see. They, are they are they threatened or endangered in any sense? Our softshell turtles are not. No, so we have two species of softshell turtles. We have the smooth soft-shell that's usually found around flowing big rivers with sandy bottoms and then most of our other areas that might be ponds or ditches that you see soft shell turtles those are our spiny soft shells they're more adapted to non-flowing water systems
1: all right jerry thanks for that call uh so will in the final minute we have uh could you give us maybe some resources if people want to learn more about either box turtles or turtles in general or turtles in mississippi
0: so one of the, the best resources, that I think, uh, is especially for all audiences, there's a book that's called Turtles of the Southeast uh, by Kurt Buhlman and Tracy Tuberville and Wick Gibbons. It's very uh, uh, available on Amazon or any other uh, bookstore uh, that you might find. Uh, it's a great resource, lots of really good pictures, lots of really good information written in a way that's digestible for most readers. Um, and that was one of the other things I uh, forgot to mention. I grew up looking at field guides, um, you know, whether it be birds or reptiles or snakes or whatever. So uh, those sorts of books and resources again can sort of pique fascination, provide information to uh, especially young minds that that might be interested.
1: All right. Very good. That is going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Dr. Will Selman, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned, because up next, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, only on MPB Think Radio.